Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Is there a little extra juice knowing kind of the stakes and what point in the season we're at? Yeah, I mean, uh, Vaughn had put on the so put the Super Bowl trophy over in the locker room and put uh, you said you'd do anything for it. So kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, what we need to do to get there. And I'm going to try my best to show the guys they can trust me and do the extra work. And, um, you know, my mom also wrote me a letter and reminded me, too, where I came from, uh, how blessed I am to be in the position I'm in. Uh, and remember uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And also, uh, just remember where it all came from. That's Gabe Davis. Looking to prove it all night. Went on through to Phoenix. Interesting motivational tactic. Uh, one Bills drive today. Let's talk to a man who knows all about that and all things Buffalo Bills. And uh, not only should you read him digitally on Twitter, at Matt Perino, on the digital pages, of course, of Syracuse.com and NYUp.com, but you should listen and watch the Shout Podcast with Matt and Ryan Talbot and company, keeping you updated on all things Buffalo Bills. The one and only Matt Perino is back, baby. Matt, how you doing, sir? What up, Brent? How you doing, baby? I am intrigued by this replica trophy. Tell me about this. Did Vaughn Miller, like, spend some dough on this thing? Did he make it out of tinfoil? Like, what, what, what was the replica trophy looking like in uh, the locker room if you did see it? I did not see it. It was not, like, displayed. And the Bills had a walkthrough today, and so we didn't actually get in there. Um a little bit later than usual, actually. So by the time we had gotten into the locker room, I felt like most of the guys were gone. Although we did get a chance to talk to most anybody that you needed. Uh, the Bills uh, extended uh, open locker room time. But, yeah, I mean, I-, I know that there was kind of this conspiracy theory that was floating around about Von Miller. Like, wh- where is Vaughn? Like, we don't see Vaughn. And it's like, he's been here the whole time. I mean, he's going through his rehab situation. I've seen him, you know, walking by in the locker room. And we talked to him a few times. Not too much about football and everything like that, but he is definitely around the team. I saw him down on the sideline the last two weeks uh, with the team, and so, yeah, he's he's continuing to do his Von Miller motivational thing just uh, in a little bit of a different role. Gabe Davis, while we're on the subject here, I feel like it's, it's boom or bust with Gabe. He'll make some big catches or he'll drop some big passes, and it doesn't feel like there's that in-between consistency that they need is is that just a little bit extra of what this offense needs right now, Matt, to, to go ultimately where they want to go? Let me ask you this. Do you have that same feeling when you think about Debo Samuel? That's a fair question. No. But I, I see They where, dropped I, the same amount of passes this season. That's see, why I bring it up. There you go. I, I knew you'd have the numbers to back that up, but wow, that, that actually surprises me. How about that? So I'm I'm writing about Gabe actually right now. I actually talked to people how about that. Timing uh, is everything, friends. It really is, and because there's been this frustration like amongst the fan base about Gabe in his in the second year, and I think everybody thought coming off that Kansas City game, you were looking at like Brandon Ayuk numbers, right? Like a thousand yards, eight to ten touchdowns, like a true like premier wide receiver two type of season. And I think that we're just maybe looking at this through the wrong lens. I think there's a couple of factors that go into why he finishes with only 800 and the eight touchdowns, which is really good. Might have been seven, actually. I got to go. I'm right about game, and I don't even have the number in front of me. Um, but I think that you have to think about this. Number one, how much attention Stefan Diggs 
gets in this offense, not just from defenses, but from Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen. Like, the target share in this offense is super high. And one of the things that Cole told me was, like, it's just like everybody else is kind of like, you know, scratching and clawing for the rest of the scraps. And from Gabe's perspective, the things that they asked him to do, Cole Beasley said that he's like, think of him like an extra tight end. So they asked him to do all this blocking. They asked him to be this big part in the passing game, running routes. Um, and he plays almost 100% of the snaps. And he's doing this in year three. And so when you're asked to do all those different things, it's not always going to be pretty. You're not always going to get the targets. And, you know, Debo Samuel is doing that with, I think, like, not double, but, like, definitely, like, 40% more when it comes to the just sheer number of opportunities you get with the ball thrown in your direction. So, I don't know. I, I get it. He's got he's to be a little bit more you know, uh, reliable in the passing game when it comes to eliminating some of those drops. But I also think people forget too, he suffered that ankle injury in week one, Brent. And I was just doing a show earlier today where I was talking about this. I've spent almost every practice open viewing period that the media gets over parked by the wide receivers. And the reason I do that is because Gabe Davis has had this ankle injury and I've kind of noticed that he just hasn't moved the same way. So I'm like watching week after week, when is it going to look different? And it had it for like two, three months. And I'd say maybe around the Chicago game is where I finally said, okay, it's looking a little bit different, but still not, not stopping on the dime, not cutting the same way. And now all of a sudden, I'd say over the last two weeks, probably since, you know, that New England game, the last week of the season, man, it looks like he's Gabe Davis again. Like, it looks like he's able to move a little bit differently. And just think about this, too. When you're dealing with that ankle injury over the course of a season, right, and you're playing through it and you don't really miss any games, you don't miss any time, Gabe Davis put on, like, 10, 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason. So he's dealing with a bigger frame as it is to begin with. I think it was uh, 7 to 10 pounds of muscle. So that, I think that's a piece of it, too. And I just think that in an offense that – has set these, this super high standard, I think not being able to take it to the next level, whatever that looks like in the eyes of a lot of fans and critics, it's somehow deemed maybe, I don't want to call it a failure, but not meeting the expectations. But I think sustaining your level of offense should also be a sign of a healthy program. And I think that's what the Bills have figured out a way to do this season. Uh, you know, in spite of maybe when you're talking about the elite quarterbacks, like, they're all playing right now, right? Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. It's safe to say that Jalen Hurts, throw him in there. Allen is, is definitely has the, the worst offensive line of the group. And I'm not saying it's a bad offensive line, but there's pro bowlers. There's all pros on those other ones. There's not in Buffalo. That's why we turn to you to explain these things, man. I think you, you swung my opinion there on uh, good old Gabe here, and hopefully he uh, makes the plays needed for this Bills offense here. But while we're on the subject, let's maybe dispel another notion out there. I've had my frustrations with Ken Dorsey. Now, Ken Dorsey is in an adjustment period. It's year one. He's not going to come in and just be the carbon copy of Brian Dable. I totally understand that. But where do you think the frustrations are overstated, and where do you think some of the frustrations with Dorsey are validated, if any? So it's interesting. And, like, I don't know. I think it's hard to really super – critically analyze like play calling and like what they're trying to do and whose fault is it? Is the, is it the play that came in was the execution of the play. Mm. I think Ken Dorsey has also dealt with an interesting kind of like 
triangle of a problem, right? So he's sitting there at the bottom of the triangle, right, and the, and the one point, and he is this new offensive coordinator that probably has some of his own ideas, but he's, he's basically taking a, an offensive system that was created by Brian Dable that he was a big part in creating over the last couple of years, and he's kind of just making it his own, right? So you have that piece of the triangle up at the top, right, That uh, on the right side. On the left side, you have this elite quarterback in Josh Allen who's now coming to his own. He's an MVP candidate. It's fifth, fifth year in the league. There's probably a part of it where he has, I don't want to say say over the offense, but, like, he probably runs it in his own way, even when he's out on the field. I know Ken's in his ear, but there's probably a lot of ways where Josh Allen is out there improvising a lot of the time. So changing, like, protections at the line of scrimmage, you know, hot routes, like, you know, audible and whatever the case may be, you know, we don't really have the full scope of what of how that whole thing goes. And as a first-year play caller, I'd probably say you're relying on Josh, who's been so good over the last couple of years, to have the freedom out there to kind of do his thing. Uh, and they have a good relationship anyway. So I think, I think all of that's kind of in play, and I think that's why maybe it's been so – Perky jerky of a season. And even with that said, most games they score 30 points. So it's like, how bad is it? I don't know. Uh, but I definitely think there's room to improve from a play caller perspective and from just like an execution perspective as the game is going along. Matt Perino, Syracuse.com, joining us here. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the Great Shout podcast as well. One last thought of the Miami game, then we'll uh, take a step forward here. I still don't know the answer to this. Maybe you do. Why did that game take so long? That game dragged on like any other game I've seen in a long time, and I can't really pin the answer as to why. Ooh, do we lose you, Matt? I got you. There we I, go. I, I, You're back. Going all over the place. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, so let me just restate that. Why did that Miami game take so darn long? I couldn't pin why it was just dragging along. Sometimes there's an injury, there's a delay of some sort, or you can kind of point to a reason and say, okay, that's why that game took so long. I couldn't figure out why that game took so long. Why, why did you uh, get that impression that it did? I think first and foremost is how much the, the teams were on the, on the field and they were throwing a lot and there was incompletions. And when you have a lot of incompletions, I feel like that kind of strings things out a little bit. I think it ended up being uh, comparatively to the other game, the Ravens game. The Ravens had the ball something crazy like six times or something or four times in the first half. And the Bills had it like – I don't know, nine and like, or like 16 possessions overall. I, mean, I don't know, some crazy number. And I just think that like offensively, the, you know, the run game was ineffective on both sides of the ball, especially for Miami. And so when you're not running the ball and you're throwing it a ton and you're throwing a couple timeouts and you're throwing a couple TV timeouts or like, you know, stoppages in play. And then that's what you get. Matt, as we uh, take a step forward here, uh, Bill's Bengals divisional game, Obviously, we only got a slice of what we wanted to see between the Bills and the Bengals, so it's hard to kind of gauge the matchup. Cincinnati was leading at the time, but you know that doesn't mean anything. The Bills easily could have come back. So as we kind of reevaluate the matchup here, what are the concerns for the Buffalo Bills against Cincinnati? Uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, 
Joe Mixon, those are the concerns. Um, uh, they were able to do anything they wanted in a, in a half a quarter against this Bills defense. And without Von Miller, somebody that consistently you could rely upon to generate pressure, hit the quarterback, like at times over the course of the last month and a half, it's just defensive line is, it hasn't been great, like consistently. Uh, so that's the concern. Now, what swings things a little bit, if you're a Bills fan looking for it, uh, some positivity, the Cincinnati Bengals are banged up on their offensive line right now. Lyle Collins, their starting right tackle, is out for the season. Uh, Jonah Williams at the, at the left tackle spot, he's week to week with that knee injury. And then Alex Kappa missed last week, and it's looking, he didn't practice today, looks like he's going to miss. So they're going to potentially be down three starters. And if you go back to when this Bengals team with his offense, with all this talent, has struggled, it's been when they haven't been able to protect Joe Burrow. And so I look at guys like Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau. Those are the two guys I'm looking at to have to make impact plays. When they have gone up against, you know, uh, backup offensive linemen over the course of the last month, that's when I feel like they've just absolutely eaten. So you need them to do that in this big spot at home at High Mark Stadium. You know, they got to turn the ball over. Like if you give Josh Allen extra possession and that offense can figure, you mentioned things that concern you, three turnovers in three straight games for the Bills, huge concern. The previous five games, they've turned the ball three times over three times in that whole span. And so now you're looking at, all right, what is going on? I think part of it is just like, you know, being careless with the ball, being reckless with the ball, but it's concerning because if you give Joe Burrow extra possessions, he's just going to absolutely kill you. So, yeah, man, it's, um, it's a fun game, though. This is, uh, this is what you want in January, and it's setting up kind of – in a strange way as well, like you think about last year, the Bills were at this spot, divisional round, they were playing the Chiefs, Bengals win. Had they beaten the Chiefs, they were going to host the AFC title game as the three seed, remember? Now they're the two seed, and they'll know the result of Kansas City-Jacksonville when they play on Sunday. If Jacksonville pulls this crazy upset, right, then the Bills would only have to win to host the AFC title game. And so the drama, the intrigue on Sunday could be through the roof. It will be either way, but that would add a dimension. Last thing for me, Matt, obviously there's a lot of emotion surrounding this game, but in a uh, very uh, good, weird way, but in a good way, uh, mostly, uh, maybe some of that's been stripped away because DeMar Hamlin's around. He's, he's improving. He's been at the facility. Like if there was still some doubt about his status, if he was still in the hospital, something like that, maybe it's heavier but how is the fact that DeMar is just out there, he's around, he's got a long road to go here, but the fact that DeMar has made this incredible recovery, maybe taking away some of that emotion of the Bills and Bengals back on the same field together? No, I think that's a, that's a hugely important piece, and I almost felt like some of it over the last two weeks, like you've seen the, the emotional dump of it all, right, at times. Like, it, it's a lot to deal with. Deion Dawkins penned a letter to Bills Mafia before the playoffs started and said, listen, we're – we're all in. We're ready to go try to win a Super Bowl. But we're all playing. This has been really heavy on us and how this thing has happened. And to see him back in the building and to be able to kind of put that to, to bed as much as you can, like, you know, what happened with him and this unbelievable recovery. I mean, there's still people on this team, and I, know, I have no doubt, will be dealing with this beyond this season. But I think it is a big collective, you know, uh, sigh of relief, you know, and, and Mitch Morse was talking about it today. It's like, just last week when he came in on Saturday, it was like almost like that was the first time that people could really, you know, let the air out of the tires a little bit and just, or maybe kick their feet up on the couch and just, it just 
it's a it's been a big few days, and now to have him in the building each and every day, I think that continues to take a little bit of the heaviness off of it because he's you know just getting back to a normal routine, and you're seeing him. Not only is he doing better, but you're seeing it in the building. So I think that's a huge point, and I think that could also energize the team as they kind of move through this week with that just continued positivity and, and return to normalcy that allows them to be fully prepared and potentially fully healthy, as healthy as they can be for this game. Matt, thank you as always. Great insight. Great stuff. Keep up the good work. Have fun this week. Have fun this weekend, and we'll definitely catch up soon. But uh, always appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. There he goes, the one and only Matt Perino. See, this is I'm not just saying this because Matt's a friend of mine, and I know the work that Matt does you know, working at Syracuse.com, <clears throat> excuse me, and seeing how he does what he does. Like, that Gabe Davis story that he's writing and the explanation he gave us, like, that completely swung an opinion I have on Gabe Davis because he backed it up. He made a great comparison. He kind of explained it out. Don't get me wrong, Gabe Davis has made some big drops this year, and that Gabe Davis soundbite we played earlier about working harder and what Vaughn Miller brought into the locker room, and he he knows he's still got something to prove in a way, but Matt gives you that kind of insight on the Bills. There's a lot of great people that cover the Buffalo Bills that have been covering the Bills for years, but I would put Matt at the top of that list with our buddy Sal Capaccio, and I'm biased because they're friends of mine, but there's some really, really good journalists that cover the Bills. Uh, Matt is, if not the best, one of the best. And that's why we love having him on. We'll break. We'll come back, and we're going to switch gears from uh, pigskin to puck. Talk some hockey with Alex Ackerman. What's going down with the Syracuse Crunch? Stay right there.